So Smriti, um, and it's so weird for me to say this, but Smriti, thank you so much for doing this with me. Super, super excited to be doing this with you because. uh you know in one of your interviews i was so thrilled when i found out that your inspiration came in while you were watching wonder woman coincidentally my thesis in my masters was actually on wonder woman as well where i in fact tracked the imagery of wonder woman through her comics and through the ages of feminism as well right so i just love so many of these coincidences coincidental you know similarities that have happened between us including our names so thank you so much for doing this with peace with you Thank you so much. I I have to admit it feels really strange for Smriti to be speaking to a Smriti, but I think that will make this doubly awesome. So <laughs> I remember that I did speak about Wonder Woman. It it wasn't so much an inspiration as the fact that at that point this fact was being dinned into my head that um, we grew up, as it were, with so few. female role models you know i'm sitting there watching wonder woman with my children and my kids are so excited by and i remember the scene that it happened when my eyes welled up it's it's when she breaks through a, a ceiling and comes down and she lands there and just the force yeah. with which she comes through that ceiling and lands uh i remember that it, i felt it it is with that force that my tears came to my eyes because i had never seen such a strong woman and here i was 40 plus and i was thinking to myself how did we get to this age without seeing a woman smash a roof i mean we're so used to seeing men do that and how different and you know my daughter was sitting there looking fine my son was sitting right. there looking unsurprised and here mm-hmm. i was adult me uh, almost in tears and i said to myself uh, you know what must it be like to be their age and to take it for granted that a woman will be is a superhero that's wrong you know we absolutely so, yeah that's strong that a woman is a superhero i mean and how different would i have been my childhood have been how different would i have shaped up if i had grown up with such uh, heroes you know so that thought had only recently crossed my mind and then shortly after that of course this project came about absolutely so i'm going to very quickly begin by sort of you know uh tipping my hat off to you simply because you've been an advocate of starting children young when it comes to feminism right and that's such a difficult conversation to have with a child girl or boy i don't think that really matters and you've mm-hmm. been quite vocal about how you've raised your children in such an inclusive environment now why don't you why don't you maybe begin by speaking about why you believed that it was important for you to sort of impart this when they were so young smriti I don't think it was a very conscious decision to impart it as they were young. I think I am a feminist. I'm a vocal feminist. It's in, it is in the way I lead my life. It is in the way, yeah. Um, uh, it is in the way I do everything else, and as a result, it was also in the way I parented. Um, I had, I had a very vocal feminist of a grandmother. Uh, mm-hmm. My grandmother <laughs> was. Um, you know she was a working woman she was the principal of two schools she used to sing on all india radio she was an artist uh, so as a result the bal- the power balance in my mother's home when she was growing up was a very equal one and that right. was unusual for those times i think when i think when you're raised with those kind of uh, role models then it becomes very difficult for you to not be a feminist uh, my first child is my son uh mm-hmm. so as you said it doesn't matter whether they are girl or boy um uh, i learned and i practiced my feminism on him and in the sense that you know i just started raising him the exact way that i thought was right if i had had a second child who was a boy too um mm-hmm. you know that child would have been raised by this very same feminist parent um it is 
you know it is chance that my second one is a girl and it, it it became even more important for me at that point that she should benefit even more from having me as a parent you know i mean i benefited as much as i did from my mother and my grandmother and it seemed to me that i'd be doing her a disservice if things didn't go at least one step more than what i had already been given in fact smriti what i hear from you is the fact that it was second nature to you simply because you were brought up in that environment right now there right. are so many right. parents and caregivers who don't necessarily who haven't necessarily had that exposure but would want to sort of make a change with the next generation now mm-hmm. so the vocabulary really sort of matters right and i think that's where it all begins in that sense of how mm-hmm. you speak to mm-hmm. a child how you speak to a child uh you know that's a boy versus a girl uh or rather the very fact that it ha- all has to be agnostic it needs to be inclusive so there are certain words there are certain sentences there are certain terminologies that you use/don't use um mm-hmm. you know for you to for you to sort of raise them in that sort of an environment right now what happens then to parents who don't necessarily have that exposure uh like you did for instance uh i, I mm-hmm. for instance have always been a feminist uh, my grandmother was mm-hmm. a very very powerful lady um my mother although was uh not that there's anything wrong with it she's one of the strongest women that i know for the kind of kind of you know ups and downs that we face as a family as well and she's always been through the thick and thin of everything uh but has never had the opportunity to go outside and work right but she continues to still be that pillar of support for me in every possible way now i do mm-hmm. know of so many of my friends who don't necessarily have that have they they don't have that sort of vocabulary in terms of where do they even begin at the first place right so how do you think parents should even begin if they haven't had that exposure um i think it starts before you become a parent how equal are you in your marriage how equal are you in your partnership um interesting i will admit that i don't think my partnership was as equal at 20 years ago as it is today i've been married 20 years this april uh yeah. i think um, my husband came from a far more conservative home uh to be fair there was he he was open to learning he was open to this equality that he saw in my home he real, i think the f- moment he met my family forget about meeting me the moment he met my family he knew this was not going to be the regular uh, setup and um he mm-hmm. was very open to that he was in fact yeah. eager that we should you know institute that sort of equality in our home and i'm grateful for that because that means i didn't have to put in such a fight i would have if i'd needed to and that would have made things unpleasant i don't know if things would have worked out further who knows yeah. uh, but at that point i know that the the moment we got married we started working towards a more equal home a more balanced uh, power equation in our home and yeah. uh, i think when you raise children in that setup then there's no separate vocabulary that you need to look for really it is just okay. it, it is what they are growing up around um they see a mother who has to go to work who uh, the power balance has already changed immediately it's no longer shush you know daddy's just back from a long tired day sort of thing very often it's my husband saying shush you know let mummy rest she's had a very long day at work or uh, you know my kids uh, from very early my kids learned to make me a cup of coffee at around 4 because i did a lot of freelance work in their early years but this is the time mama likes her coffee she's at work uh, it didn't matter to them that i was working from home they just saw it as i mean work was work uh, so they learned very early that you don't make a noise when mama's on calls she's interviewing people so you know i believe so much of this is just intuitive i don't know if there are words around it so much more important that the actions match the words that Absolutely. may or may not be spoken um yeah yeah and it in certain ways i think uh, 
the vocabulary came from my children not from me because and, and more from my son he is so much more of a feminist than i am in so many wow. ways that i where he calls out my hypocrisy and uh, i remember he came to me years ago when he and he's a history buff and he said to me but why do we say mankind you know why don't we say humankind and why do we say you know uh, why do we say that man is a social animal or you know he'd pick out words like the phrases like this and say why do we say this and these were things i had never questioned you know you use a right. phrase the in the in the way that you've uh, always heard it used you know so man is a social Absolutely. animal why why don't we just say humans are social animals and even up until recently i remember that I, my daughter was upset with me about something and i kept following her around the house uh trying to take that conversation to a conclusion and he said mama if she's walking away from you then that means she doesn't want to talk to you so uh why can't you respect her boundaries and why can't you wait for her consent and i had never seen following someone wow. to have a conversation as a lack of having a boundary and suddenly that here is a boy a young boy telling me um that when you follow my sister around the house arguing this you know she's walking away from you let her go that's her boundary she shouldn't need to slam a door in your face for you to see that as the end of a conversation you should just respect right. that right now you don't have her consent and i had never seen it like that so wow. i think the 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 vocabulary is coming to me now at that to begin with it was just it was actions got it got it now in fact you know uh, spriti you'd spoken about uh, you know how that sparks always been within you right you've always had mm-hmm. role models like your mother like your grandmother who've always been there right now right. would you choose would you believe that this at some point and of course it got triggered by whatever happened with wonder woman in that scene now why don't you mm-hmm. just take me through your thought process of why it was important for you to do this with you know uh, with bombays right bombays are typically this was seemingly childish childlike in that sense i wouldn't say childish but they're childlike now take me through your thought process of why you decided it was important for you to pass on such a powerful message through these bombays i think it was an idea whose time had just come it all just fell into place very seamlessly because there we were i mean in lockdown and i was just telling my husband and kids that this little house that's a cottage that we were locked down in felt very um sterile it didn't feel like home we were locked down here in kodaikanal all our stuff was lying in gurgaon and mm-hmm. i am a great one for uh, adding homely touches to my home it has to have right. my personal imprint on it right. so you know you know how everyone was struggling in those initial days of the pandemic um even when they were locked down in the safety of their home so you can imagine how uncomfortable it must have been for us to be locked down at the other end of the country my kids Absolutely. and husband don't speak tamil uh, yeah. there was that extreme sense of vulnerability that <clears throat> you know the ground had shifted from under our feet like it had for others and we were one of those people who were in that unique situation of being so far from home not having anything of our own and so you know i had recently picked up two sarees and the blouse pieces were lying with me and i decided to go across to this uh, self help group that had special permission to open up during the pandemic because they were seen as an essential service provider since they are self help groups <clears throat> i don't know how they worked it out but anyway that's how it was and uh, so i decided the moment there was a small window of uh you know when the lockdown had been eased off slightly for a couple of hours i hopped across with my blouse pieces and i said can you make me cushion covers and that lady said sure um and while i was waiting there uh, you know for her to take my order she in conversation she said to me she said amma could you help us and mm-hmm. i'm a journalist so i my first <laughs> instinct at least to myself i said how can i help you you know i have no 
I have no idea, you know, what you're doing. And um, I don't know how how I could help you, at least in terms of uh, how, how I could economically support you. Right. And then I was, I'm, I'm like quickly thinking to myself, I said, uh, what do you need? And she said, you know, we have these massive orders. We do these export orders that go abroad mm-hmm. and um, our buyers have backed out. They've refused to pay. And we mm-hmm. have all this stock lying here. And um, this is what we do. And so I said, show me. And she showed me she had like stuffed teddy bears and stuffed bunny rabbits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I'm like doing a quick calculation that I could take these home take photographs in my garden uh, share them on Facebook and I know that I have a huge network and if I, all I need to say is that you know there's a lady here who needs help and those were the days when everyone was going out of their way to help everyone you know yeah, in whatever yeah. way they could yeah I knew we'd sell that stock but I didn't know what we'd do after that mm-hmm. uh, so I said all right l- give me some time to think and I went home that day and I said to myself okay you know I don't have time to reskill them these are the skills they have. They have. There was some fabric lying at her place. So that's what we already had. We Kodaikanal was locked down. So there was nothing coming in, nothing going out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had to make do with whatever she already had at her store, the fabrics that she had and, you know, the prints that she had. And I had to make sure that I had to use the skills that they already had. There was no time to spend like five years training them on something new. Um, my instinct otherwise would have been to do something in fashion. Let me be very honest here. That I would have, I have a very good eye for fashion, and I would have immediately used their skills for that. But you know, they are right. not uh, trained to be uh, seamstresses of couture. You know, they they just knew how to do these stuffed toys. So anyhow, I knew that they had that skill because they were exporting. I could see that they were good at their work, but I also looked at the products and saw that they were completely outdated. I mean, these were things that missionaries taught them 25 years ago, and they hadn't expanded their repertoire at all, and they hadn't uh, they hadn't expanded their reach either. You know, they had some mm-hmm. client, somebody, some missionary who they'd been working with who'd now gone back to Australia, another one gone back to the UK, and they continued to sell to them sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So I just asked myself, what can I do with the skills they already have? What stuffed toys can I do? And I said, you know, I remember ragdolls from my own childhood. Okay, so right. a ragdoll, that's a great possibility. And then I said to myself, but who's going to buy a ragdoll in these times and days? I mean, it's just another anonymous sort of thing, you know. I mean, I'll make some dolls and then I'll, and after the first wave of sales, I'm going to have trouble sustaining this. And then, and all of this happened in like maybe 20 minutes. I was just sitting there staring out of the window oh, and wow. wondering what I could do. Yeah, It seems like it took a, took forever. But within five minutes, I had, uh, I, knew, I you know, each thought went that fast. Okay, so they already know this. Okay, let's make ragdolls. Okay, but ragdolls, who's going to buy the same old ragdolls? What am I going to do to convince a parent or a child today? A child mm-hmm. needs to want this doll. What am I going to do? How am I going to convince them that this rather crudely made doll compared to say like a Leo Mattel doll or something else or a plastic molded toy but um, I was like okay who's gonna what, how are my dolls gonna compete with that and then it struck me that this is my moment I mean I'm gonna do a feminist doll and the first doll that came to me was I remember saying to myself why don't I make Maya Angelou in fabric and even as I'm saying it to myself I'm thinking you really need to think this through because how on earth are you going to depict Maya Angelou you know yeah and uh, and then I said and I could do Kalpana Chavla and I'm just sitting there uh, with these wild flights of fancy saying and I could do this and I could do that and then I was like okay let's start putting this down so I took a piece of paper and quickly sketched a rough idea of what I wanted and then I went inside and I told my kids and my husband all of whom were so busy on their screens at that point because that's all we were doing online school classes and work and this and that they were like yeah yeah yeah, great idea whatever and everybody and then suddenly my husband looks up in the middle of this and he says who knows Maya Angelou other than you and your you know rarefied circles of journalists and writers and readers uh, who's going to buy a Maya Angelou doll and I said to myself well I don't know she's asked me for my help 
it needs to be something that is sustainable in terms of something that she can do as well as something that sustains my interest Correct. it's not charity it is an equal yep. relationship um so i'm not just doing this for her it has to be something that holds my interest and uh, this is it i'm going to do feminist dolls and he he nodded and said hmm i want to see how many people want to buy a maya angelou doll and he went back to work right and then the next the next time that the local collector or whoever it was said that shops can open up i rushed to her with this rough sketch and i said do you think you can do this and i explained it to her mm-hmm. and she said yes i can and uh, then we started back and forth and that process took me almost two months because you know then we'd go back into an intense lockdown where these ladies couldn't come back yeah. into the shop you know into yeah. the workshop again and i'd have and i'd be so frustrated and i'd wait and finally at the end of about 3 months we had a maya ready and then we did wow. Kalpana Chawla we did Frida Kahlo and we did Savitri Bai Phule mm-hmm. um I and and by this time now I had the time to chat with my husband with my kids about it and ideas were tossed back and forth and okay so who else can we make and I remember saying that I don't want to do Frida Kahlo because I feel mm-hmm. like you know she stood for something so breathtakingly unique and now yeah. we've turned her into this common pop culture uh, icon and you know she's on cushion covers and on school water bags and bottles and you know she'd be she'd be horrified if she knew what we've done to her face absolutely so, yeah um but i want her story to be out there i mean people need to stop seeing freda kalo as just this you know this easily identifiable figure with a unibrow and they need to know who she was behind that yeah. and i think that finally is where my skill as a journalist came in and this was my value add in that sense because i said that you know there will be people who want to buy these dolls who don't i mean how just as you said you know what about people who don't come from a pl- parents who don't come from a place where this vocabulary exactly. is common to them yeah how do they impart it to their child so that's where it fell to me and you know again because we were in lockdown all i had lying in the house was some craft paper that the children were crafting out of and so i mm-hmm. sat with our home printer and i typed up um letters from each of these figures to the child and each wow. letter told the story their own story like an like a sort of a um, personal letter telling the child that my name is Frida and I do and I was born in this at this time and this 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 is my life story told you their life story in about 20 lines that's it i wanted to keep it crisp and short mm-hmm. uh and if you want to know more about me ask your mommy to help you look me up or something to that effect you can right. look me up on google sort of thing mm-hmm. and then i tied ribbons and i had like these four dolls ready and mm-hmm. i said okay tonight i will put them up on facebook on, on you know on my private album and see Uh, on my private account and see if anybody wants to buy them mm-hmm. and i put them up just as i was falling asleep and when i woke up in the morning there was it's like you know something had exploded on my page i, I had 100 orders and i had only oh those four prototype dolls oh <laughs> wow that's when it struck me that what i had just taken as you know it, it, these things while they are happening you don't realize that something unique is happening is it is just what you're doing at that point there you don't see it as something exceptional or something or inspiring or anything you, you you really see your work as such but when i woke up that next morning and i looked at my account i realized i had orders for over 100 dolls i had only these four prototypes and i had no idea how to scale up what to do where to get the fabric from wow. but that's when i knew that something something had happened right like there was some sort of a spark that had lit up with this thing 
and I had chanced upon it very accidentally and very unconsciously. Wow. And all of that <laughs> to happen in about a matter of about three to four months, I'm assuming, right? From the time that you had the idea or rather yeah. walked into that yeah. store to have your cushion yes. covers stitched yes. to yes. having those four prototypes and finally having those hundred orders. That's just like a crazy four months. I'm sure it would have been a, it would have been a whirlwind in that sense, right? If now, it hadn't just, uh, been for the lockdown happening, this would have you know, I'd have done this in, in less than two or three weeks. Now, tell me something, Dosriti, you know, very curious to understand how these women sort of reacted, right? Because I'm sure you would have had to sort of explain to them why you were doing what you were doing, right? Now, I, I'd love to understand how they sort of reacted to this because what they were actually doing was really translating your vision of having to spread the idea of feminism through these dolls and to and and basically just, you know, spreading the word about these role models that actually do exist, right? And that... Every every girl, every child rather, I wouldn't say every girl, every child basically needs that role model and why the hell can't that role model be a woman, right? And rightfully so for obvious reasons. Now, what what did these women have to say to you, uh, you know, when you had to tell them that they were part of such a big movement? Uh, I'm, I'm just curious to understand how they processed this entire idea. I don't think to begin with, they thought that I'm crazy because there, okay. I mean, I was struggling with my limited Tamil trying to explain to them how this needed to be done and, and why it needed to be done in the way that it needed to be done. And I remember they, they knew very clearly who, there were one or two of them who knew, who understood who Kalpana Chawla was. Right. I remember um, when I did Maya Angelou, I had to explain to them through the lens of caste what racism is. Correct. Yeah. You know, so just to make it relatable to them. And I was trying to explain to them that this is a black woman and this is... And uh, a couple of them were very, very uh, impressed by the amount of media coverage we were getting. But Mm -hmm. on the whole, for them, I realized belatedly, this was business as usual. Right. You know, they were, uh, they, this was work. It was far more important to them that this work had suddenly put a lot more food on the table than until then they had succeeded in bringing. Yep. So that was far more important to them. It, in fact, it translated into them being heroes in that sense. Right. Suddenly, you're making so much money that you're able to buy yourself a TV and a fridge and a this and a that and send your kid to college. Um, right. You you stop thinking. You you forget about th- these ladies being superheroes, and you begin to realize that you are a hero in you know in your own family now. Interesting. That's such a lovely way of looking at this. Now. You know, one of the things that I noticed about your Burmese was the fact that none of them have any features, uh, Smriti. Now, there should be a reason behind you leaving the face blank, right? So, um, the reason that the dolls don't have any features is uh, when I started doing the dolls, um, there are th- so somebody interestingly told me that this is your ikigai and you found it because, you know, I'd always wanted to move out of the hills. I uh, am very, very keen on early childhood education. I love working with fabric and, you know, even in my home, that is one reason why I showed up with those blouse pieces. So all of those things came together. Amongst those things, one of them, one of my great interests is early childhood education. And I've uh, studied the Waldorf method. Uh, And one of the things, again, that uh, I raised my children around was that whole concept, that whole philosophy of Waldorf's that... Mm -hmm. When you give a child a toy, it is the child that must work, not the toy. The first toy that a child is given is like a handkerchief with a knot at one end, which would depict the doll's face. And the body of the doll is just that the remainder of the handkerchief. So I started working with that idea that these dolls should have enough features on them to be able to be recognizable, but the rest should be something that a child should be able to add by themselves like, and personalize it and make it their own which like I told you right in the beginning is something that I I like to do. I like to take something and make it my own. So the same thing should apply to anything that anyone has. They should be able to take it and personalize it. So my thought was that I will put one feature on the doll's face and Mm -hmm. children should be able to 
you know, we scold children when they draw on their belongings. And uh, that's the wrong thing. They're just expressing themselves. So if they, if you give them like a Frida doll with just the eyebrows, they should be able to draw in the eyes and the mouth and feel like they've contributed in some way towards this doll. And that makes you feel so much, that makes them feel so much more attachment to that toy because Correct. they have contributed in constructing it, in, in creating it in some way. So that was the thought. Also, uh, I mean, there were many thoughts that went behind it. That was one. The other is when we started doing the features, we realized that, again, th- there is a limit to how much you can do by hand. Had I added the features, all those dolls would have ended up looking exactly the same. And they're all from different races, different cultures, different features, different Absolutely. skin colors. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I had to make sure that I didn't impose the exact same face on each of them, which I couldn't have helped, even if I'd wanted to, because with... Um, you know, our, our skills are limited. We, we experimented because I thought to myself that why should I impose my Waldorf philosophy on other people? Perhaps they don't believe in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even as I was doing it, I mean, one, while I was doing the trials, I convinced myself that it's okay. This doll is anyway a product of all my beliefs, right? Anything that anyone creates, any creator, when they make something, any inventor, anyone, any entrepreneur, you're doing this for yourself because you believe in it. So it's okay Correct. if I if I decide to impose my Waldorf belief system on it. Uh and, and a buyer chooses to reject it for that reason, that's fine. Um, but also I realized that I wanted something that didn't look too childish because I, even as I was making them, I was dying to keep one for myself. And I knew that there will be women out there who will want these dolls. And if I make them look very childish with little pink apple cheeks and stuff, correct? Uh, they will become children's toys. At this point, they are collectibles. And I know I a lady went for her 50th birthday to Goa and she took her entire gang of friends with her. And she called me and she placed orders for all her friends, um, depending on who liked what. Mm-hmm. You know, So she took a bunch of Fridas, a bunch of uh, Kalpanas, and all her friends were in that age group of 50. And these were they all got my dolls as their return gifts. So I know plenty of adults have bought my dolls for themselves. I have a friend who's gone abroad for her PhD. Uh, she's taken Savitri Bai with her mm-hmm. as a, you know, as a reminder of how far each one of us can go if we want to. Right. So... Um, that was also part of the reason as I was doing it, I said, you know, I don't want to restrict this to children alone. I want to create a product that uh, will appeal across ages. So that's another reason why they don't have faces that might have made them very childish too. Very interesting. Now you need to tell me how big your collection is today. And clearly by the looks of it, I can see that you <laughs> do take up requests depending on the, depending on obviously if, if it is even possible for you to take up that request, right? So unfortunately, my collection is not too big. It is only eight mm-hmm. dolls at this point. I mean, so right. the uh, first set was uh, Frida, Maya, Savitri and Kalpana Chavla. And then the second set was Savitla Thakral, mm-hmm. uh, Ruth Pera Ginsburg, Poolan yep. Devi. And I created one who I was dying to do some more form of inclusion. So it's, uh, it's a made up mm-hmm concept it's a doll who has a prosthetic leg so it's a ballerina oh, a teenage ballerina yeah and the okay. leg can be detached it's attached with velcro again i've made sure that there's nothing sharp nothing that can hurt a child but um and so you and she comes with a option of two prosthetic legs and um and i have a lot more in the pipeline i have uh, i have junko tabe who is uh, who was the first woman to uh, climb mount everest I have a couple more. Again, I'm I'm not mentioning them simply because I'm working with the ladies on it. And my struggle in the last few uh, months has been that um, uh, because it's a self-help group, the ladies come and go. Correct. Yeah. You know, they, it, they, there is that flexibility. Uh, mm-hmm. And so sometimes they don't come back for six months at a time. And um, 
it is a it's a very gentle form of self governance where uh, if somebody has a child who's taking their board exams then those women take off for that period of time so what has happened is that group has been very dynamic and very uh, you know it, it's changed shape and so now i suddenly have a bunch of new ladies who aren't used to the my dolls and they're being Correct. retrained in them so yep. what i'm doing is sticking with the tried and tested and not making them try out anything new just making them you know repeat the ones that we already do the last question that i had for you where do you see smithsonian going from here uh i'd like to see my dolls available all around the world i've already got somebody selling them in the uk someone in the us oh, wow. uh, but it's a okay. bit of a struggle i'm yeah i'm not being able to scale up and and that happened within the first so <laughs> i remember when i started doing the dolls and i'd sold the first set my husband asked me he said he asked me a very similar question to this he said what would be what's your dream for your brand mm-hmm. and there is a shop called baro in bombay Mm-hmm. and i love the aesthetic and i said to myself you know that even if it takes me 15 years if baro is willing to sell my dolls stock and sell my dolls then i'll know that i have arrived and i will stop selling after that i'll stop bothering right. before i completed a year baro reached out to me and oh, wow. began to sell to, you know said that they love the product and i started selling through them retailing through them and i was like oh my god no <laughs> now i have nothing to hope and dream and work towards yeah that's I've, that's too quick a, that's too quick <laughs> yeah. an achievement of course yeah so i would like to see my dolls go everywhere i'd like to work with a lot more people i'd like to do, work with more ngos uh, work, you know to scale this up this is not something these are not these are not factory products yeah. they're not on an assembly line but yeah i'd like i personally I, the reason that i wanted to bring out these dolls that i wanted every child male female to to know what it was like to see strong women